There's a tweaking cat above my head. There was like a weird scraping sound too that... Oh, I think it's a cat back there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And the menagerie is back in full force, <laughs> folks. Welcome back to Prosecco Theory. Um, Hi, Megan. Hello, Michelle. How are you? Good. It's a Monday, that's for sure. Monday, Monday. How are you? Well, I'm good, except that I just had to run home and switch computers because I brought my work computer instead of my personal computer. Like I said, it's a Monday. You know, really one of my biggest pet peeves in life is having to make multiple trips for no good reason. So like if you forget something at the grocery store and you have to go back or I just fucking hate it. drives me nuts so yeah but i survived and here i am yes i have a more immediate need for that like trying to get all of the groceries in one trip from my car to the house oh me too same same so christmas is less than a month away and you have become the all-star mvp of christmas who already has her christmas cards out is done christmas shopping yep I haven't even ordered my Christmas cards, and I've bought, like, three gifts. Yeah, I'm finished. You are really on it this year. Yeah, I would love to congratulate myself, except I think that it was, like, an anxiety response because I was feeling like, I don't know, but I didn't want to have to scramble, and so I was. it's self-preservation more than anything, I think. Did but you do all that shopping in, like, one week? Mostly. Yeah, I just hemorrhaged money. For about a week. The last thing I have to do is take the kids out to like pick out the things for each other and other people, you know, have them choose things that I then have to pay for. But it's part of the learning process. Exactly. All right. Well, unfortunately, we're not talking about gifts tonight. No. What are we talking about today? We're talking about closure. Closure. Which always reminds me of that Friends episode when (laughs) Rachel is wasted and borrows someone's phone at the restaurant. While she's on a date. And then calls Ross to talk about needing closure. I'm over you. Yeah. And then she throws the guy's phone in like an ice bucket for wine. And that is what you call closure. (laughs) Yeah. But I have a question for you. Yes. Was she done with those feelings after she made that phone call and thought she had closure? Um, No. Not at all. certainly was not. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. So... I, again, have been listening to the podcast LA Not So Confidential. I'm sorry. I think that is like three or four episodes in a row I where think you I talked skipped about last them. Week. <laughs> I skipped last week. I don't okay? think you I did. did. I did. Anyway, it's just all this stuff that really speaks to my brain. And, you know, it's all psychology stuff. And they, at one point, as a part of a bigger topic, they mentioned closure. And I started thinking about how many times in my own life, like, I've wanted to find closure about something And then had I ever actually really found closure about any of it? And then what does that mean? And what does the psychology world say? And yeah, so I want to talk about it. All right, let's do it. I think that it's a pretty self-explanatory term that everybody knows about. But just in case, the need for closure is a psychological term, right, that describes an individual's desire for a clear, firm answer to a question and an aversion toward ambiguity. Mm -hmm. You want an answer so you can put it to rest and feel better about things. Right. It kind of involves a sense of completion and understanding and comprehension of what happened and feeling like you're all done processing it and you're out the other side. Right. Sort of like, I want this thing I'm going through to be complete. Right. So there's usually some kind of like negative underlying connotation, because if it was great, you wouldn't need to feel done with it. Right. In fact, um, I made myself some notes here that really jump around from article to article. So I'm not necessarily going to say what article I'm referencing each time I speak, but all of the links will be in the notes. So that's my caveat to this. But 
There's an article that said events that are negative that involve other people and are more recent often bring lower levels of closure. Broadly speaking, it is easier to accept positive outcomes or times where we feel like we had some control over the situation because, of course, the actions of other people are inherently uncontrollable and we often achieve greater acceptance with time. So, yeah, like there's not a whole lot of positive things that you feel like you need to have closure from. And there's that control again. Yep. Tends to be at the root of a lot of anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So we talked very briefly yesterday about doing this topic today. And I said, I think it'd be really interesting to talk about because I don't think closure exists. And you were like, oh, I don't agree with that. And then I was like, okay, let's save it for the podcast. So Mm -hmm. tell me your thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Is this going to be one of those situations where I tell you my thoughts and then you like poke holes in all my thoughts? (laughs) I'm going to tell you what I think and what I've read. So if you feel like that pokes holes in what you thought, then hopefully you can change what you think. (laughs) Ah. I see where we are. (laughs) I'm going to change your mind because I read a book. Nope. I just read some articles, actually. No, I'm just curious. I think that it helps with processing a situation, which is, I guess, more like micro closures than like one big finale closure. Okay. Like I can give you some examples. When my mom passed away, I wasn't there and it was sudden. Mm -hmm. And so my mind couldn't really process the fact that she had passed away. Absolutely. But when I was able to go to the funeral home and see her Mm -hmm. not alive, I'm sorry, I know that's morbid, but it kind of gave me closure, not in that it resolved my feelings about her death, but it resolved this inability to process the fact that she was no longer alive. Okay. And another example, I guess, that just comes to the top of my mind is, you know, your relationship with Michael. Oh, I have some things to say about that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But meeting Mimi and understanding what it was that he was doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) sort of helped you process the breakup more. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you understood. And so there wasn't that kind of, well, there's probably still a why loop running as in like, why is he like this? Or why did he do this? But mm-hmm. not necessarily like, why did we not work out? Yeah. So I, I don't know if, if I necessarily think that there's like a big closure that's a big bow that ties up any situation. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think you can get I want to make up a word and call them like micro closures sure. <laughs> where like, okay, I can process this thing because I have an explanation for it. Sure. Okay. So I feel about the word closure the way you feel about the word boundaries. Okay. So for me, it's far too black and white and far too rigid. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. It is more about processing what's going on than tying a bow around it. And I think the idea of searching for closure is almost harmful to that processing because people want to rush through it and get to that end point rather than feel their feelings and sit in the uncomfortable shit and and in the hurt, which you have to do in order to process things. So for me, it it feels like this red herring that's harmful. So do you think, um, sorry for reverting back to death again. (laughs) That's okay. But I always say that funerals are for the living, oh, not the person who died, obviously, Absolutely. because they are attending most of the time, but <laughs> not in the same form. <laughs> right. So would you say that you don't think memorial services and funerals help bring closure to people who've lost a loved one? I think they help bring healing and growth, but not closure, because 
Okay. There is a woman, um, her name's Nora McInerney, and she basically lost her dad, her husband, and a pregnancy, I think, all within a couple weeks or something. And she has become this kind of grief guru. The first time I ever saw anything from her, it was a TED Talk. And she said something about you move forward with the grief Mm -hmm. rather than moving on from the grief. That distinction, I think, for me, rules out the idea of closure. Like, it's not like you're closing that chapter and, okay, now I can move on and I don't have to be sad anymore, you know? So yeah, I, think, I guess I'm, I'm thinking of it in terms of a processing thing again. Right. So this is the semantics. That's why I likened it to your hatred of the word boundaries. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about all these articles and, and interviews that I read with people during COVID who lost, in some cases, multiple family members mm-hmm. or a family member and... They weren't allowed to have funerals and memorial services because Mm -hmm. there was no gatherings allowed. And how many people said that made it so hard for them to process and grieve those people's deaths because even though it doesn't take the pain away, it helps with the processing. And a lot of people said there's no closure around this person's passing because they were here and now they're gone and we can't all gather and yeah. like mourn or celebrate their life together because it's not allowed. And so we feel like we're just hanging out there without, there's no event that's helping us say like, okay, we've gathered, this we've is greeted, real. we're moving forward now yeah. um, that and we've done that together. I think that's totally valid. And I do think that having those types of events and kind of in the same vein, like a family being there to witness a conviction of someone who murdered a family member or something, there is some healing that can happen in there. I just chafe at the word closure because it, it means closed, right? And I don't think you're ever ever over any of it. And so I totally know what you're saying. And I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I just want to throw the word away. <laughs> yeah, you you want to replace it with a different adjective, mm-hmm. like healing or processing yeah. or something like that. Yeah, instead of including the word close, in well, it, like case closed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there was a quote, this one, I'll tell you that the author here, it's a psychotherapist named Ashley Davis Bush. And she wrote a book called Hope and Healing for Transcending Loss. And she said, the kind of closure being peddled by pop psychology isn't really achievable, nor should it be. Americans like happy endings. We're a feel-good society. We like clean-cut things. We want to believe there's an end to pain. In reality, it's not that the pain ends, but it changes over time. I mean, that's what I'm trying to say, but more eloquently, Mm -hmm. you know. Interesting that she's talking about a happy ending, because like we were just talking about it's usually something negative that you're wanting to like tie up right, and move on from. Think about like a movie that ends with no real answers. It's basically a level of discomfort with ambiguity. Well, that's why I think people were ripping uh, Don't Worry Darling mm-hmm. because they're saying there's too many unanswered questions. And we're like, uncomfortable with it that. It doesn't mean it's not a fantastic movie because yeah. it is. You just have to, you know, live in the gray. Well, that's that's kind of my entire thing for this whole topic mm-hmm. is that the concept seems black and white and we need to live in the gray. We need to get comfortable getting uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. So you said you had some comments pertaining to your relationship with Michael yeah. <laughs> related to this topic. Tell me about that. Yeah, a couple things. Number one, I would like to note that, uh, and I think I said this before, but it deserves to be said again because of how ridiculous it is. <laughs> 
we only talked one time for like 10 minutes mm-hmm. after Mimi and I initially talked. And I basically was like, fuck you. Goodbye. And then there was a brief texting the next day because he owed me some money. And an email that he sent. Well, he sent an email later that was terrible and I never responded. But in the texting, he did the whole like, I want you back. How can I make this work? I'm so sorry. I love you. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. And he said, I understand. I'll respect your whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, he said, if you ever want to talk about it to help with healing, I'm available. (laughs) (laughs) no thank you (laughs) i was like feels like a trick are you well absolutely (laughs) also how narcissistic is that right no i don't need you to help me heal from you thank you very much it feels narcissistic and also a bit manipulative like here's a way that i'm gonna get you to Mm -hmm. talk to me Mm -hmm. yeah 100% i've fallen for that shit before in past relationships i have too and guess what i am learning and growing from all that shit (laughs) and all the other places where i never got full closure Mm -hmm. i've learned some things Mm -hmm. it just it was funny to me i think i even laughed when i i mean and this was only a couple days after the whole thing happened right and i just cracked up because i was like yeah i won't be achieving closure by getting your help with it thank you very much (laughs) so um The other thing I was thinking about is how different I felt and how much more difficult it was to move forward after my last big relationship in 2019. It was the man whose wife had taken her own life about a year before. And I really just threw myself into this relationship. I mean, you you know. I was there. Yeah. And while I was completely blindsided by the end of that and the end with Michael, it was in such a different way. And I had so many unanswered questions with the previous one. Whereas I got to have answers, like you said, the fact that I was able to process through this with Mimi Mm -hmm. really did help. It was so much harder to get over the other one. And quite frankly, there, I mean, there are times to this day that I still have pangs about both of them in different ways. I, I don't mean like, I miss you pangs. They're more just like an emotional reaction. If I see something that reminds me of one of them, which says to me that I don't have full closure, nor maybe can I, because if I did, I would have no emotional reaction to that stuff, Hmm. you know, and most of the time I don't think about them and I'm fine and it's great. And when I do, it's pretty fleeting, which is also great for me, Mm -hmm. but it's still there. Mm -hmm. It still affected me. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting that like it was a lot easier to process the end of the relationship with Michael because he made it really fucking clear, mm-hmm. you know, and I had Mimi to fill in the blanks for me. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have as much ambiguity. Mm-hmm. That ends my soliloquy on that jackass. <laughs> Cheers to that. And not to him. No, fuck him. I'm just sitting here trying to think of other and I didn't really read as much as you did. So I'm just kind of going off the cuff. But other situations that people might consider to be closure type situations, mm-hmm. like for example, a divorce. Yeah, again, I, a negative, <laughs> or for some people, well, kind of a positive. Absolutely, thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I really enjoy it when somebody congratulates me because I'm like, you get it. Things are right. better now. I did write down here that the idea of specific logistical closures, like signing divorce papers, like moving out of a living situation that you're in with a partner that you're leaving or whatever, mm-hmm. those things make sense to me. Like you are closing a chapter in your life by signing divorce papers. Yes. Mm-hmm. But emotionally, psychologically, right. that shit ain't done just because you signed a piece of paper. Right. You're still feeling the feelings. Yeah. What about when you get ghosted? 
Yeah, I I think that that is an example of a situation where people who like the word closure Mm -hmm. (laughs) pine for closure because it's easy for you to start running through in your mind. What is it about me? Or Mm -hmm. you make up stories. Did something happen to him? Or was it because I was taking photos in his apartment? (laughs) Exactly. You never know. (laughs) Sometimes you dabble as a real estate photographer and accidentally get caught on a video camera. (laughs) And you decide that's what happened, even though you really don't know if that's what happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think that people who tend to exhibit sort of like compulsive behavior in relationships, stalker type people or people who can't walk away, even Mm -hmm. when one person who's ended the relationship, those are probably people who need that bright line that someone's trying to give to them. But in their own mind, because they haven't processed it, there is no closure, there is no bright line, because they don't want it to be there. Like, I'm or they just don't like the answers. I'm thinking of an individual that I was in a relationship with. Oh. Broke up with. The grave digger? Yeah. <laughs> the grave digger. See episode something a long, long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> and he came back. Not only was there still a lot of attempts at correspondence and stuff, but even after I hadn't talked to him for like a year, he showed up at my house one day. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. You know, for me, the door has been closed for a long time. Yeah. But clearly he couldn't process or accept or whatever mm-hmm. that it was just a done deal and we weren't ever going to have any kind of relationship romantic or not anymore so yeah well i do have some information here on who the people are who need more closure if you'd like to hear about it yeah i do so i want to go back to the beginning take us back okay tell me a story the concept of closure appears to have been I'm going deep here, okay. <laughs> have been derived from the work of a Lithuanian Soviet uh, cognitive psychologist named Bluma Zagarnik. I'm guessing I'm saying that mostly correctly. And her work was on memory for unfinished tasks. The Zagarnik effect occurs when an activity that has been interrupted may be more readily recalled. It postulates that people remember unfinished or interrupted tasks better than completed tasks. So then more research has done to see whether that extends to like an emotional realm. And it was found that people often regretted and thought about inaction more than action, suggesting that a lack of closure when a situation is left unfinished, right? That ambiguity, you don't have the answers, is more common. And her, I think her work was done like 100 years ago. And then have you ever heard of Gestalt psychology? No. It basically says that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So when you're trying to make sense of the world around you, Gestalt psychology suggests that we do not simply focus on every small component. Instead, our minds tend to perceive objects as elements of more complex systems. So like if you think about it in um, visual terms, like if you see if somebody draws most of a circle, your brain fills that in. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm uncomfortable with that being unfinished. I'm going to close that. So that's kind of where the idea of closure comes from. It suggests that elements that form a closed object will be perceived as part of the group. Mm-hmm. even if they're not there. Interesting. So we will even fill in missing information to create closure and make sense of an object. Like telling yourself a story about why something happened. Exactly. Why somebody didn't call you. Exactly. Why they didn't text you back. Exactly. Yeah. And quite frankly, I mean, we can all break our own hearts every fucking day. 
And man, have I done that so many times by convincing myself of things that are completely fake. Mm-hmm. Like I made it up in my head to well, fill in answers about something. You see it even in like pop culture or with our young teenage kids. Oh, you yeah. Know, the whole expression, somebody left them on red. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's like such a, an affront. A, yeah. To be <laughs> left on red, meaning you can see that someone read your text and they didn't respond. But they don't think like, maybe they're busy. Right. Maybe they're at soccer practice. Maybe they're having dinner with their family. Maybe they're doing homework, you know, instead it's just like, ooh, that person left me on red. And so. Well, and this goes back to my favorite saying, it's not about you. (laughs) All of these stories we make up somehow, like we would rather be in control of the situation, even if what we're doing is negative. So the story you make up in your head they don't like me. This is about me. Therefore, they left me on red. So mm-hmm. I'm now making myself the villain, but in a way controlling the narrative because it's more comfortable still than not having an answer. But the hard thing is, is that sometimes that is the truth, though. But you like, can't assume that it is. You're not getting an answer because they don't like you. And then you just have to live with that. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why we should all just communicate more fucking clearly. Oh, well, if only it was that simple. I know. Okay, so going on here, based on all that stuff I just talked about, there were some psychologists in the 90s that created the Need for Closure Scale. And it is composed of 42 items, uh, has been used in numerous research studies and translated into multiple languages. Items on the scale are statements like, I think that having clear rules and order at work is essential to success. And I do not like situations that are uncertain. So those things would be positively correlated. Like if you say yes to those things, your score goes up. Mm -hmm. Items that are reverse scored, so like negatively correlated, are even after I've made up a mind about something, I am always eager to consider a different opinion. Or I like to have friends who are unpredictable. So with the answers that they've gotten to this test, they were able to list traits of people with high need for closure and traits of people with low need for closure. So generally speaking, obviously this is not every single person. People who have a high need for closure, the list says authoritarianism, intolerance of ambiguity, dogmatism, social and political conservatism, religious ideology. So saying like, well, it's God's will. There's the answer, right? Right. Need to close this up. Because there's that fear of not knowing, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. Resistance to persuasion and more likely to make stereotypical or biased judgments. People typically with a lower need for closure, the traits are creativity, Comfort with ambiguity, impulsivity, cognitive complexity, ideational fluidity, and open-mindedness. Personally, I feel happy to fall on one side of this versus the other. But I'm just thinking about situational scenarios. Like, I might be somebody who wants brighter lines at work, but need not as many brighter lines in dating or something like that. And so it's hard to like pigeonhole somebody of course, on that scale. Somewhere. Like I said, these are generalizations based on the testing. But I, I mean, for me, this entire thing boils down to gray area. Mm-hmm. Like if you're more well, comfortable. That's what this whole podcast boils down to. We're always talking exactly. about how everything's a spectrum. Exactly. So that's why I don't think closure exists. <laughs> which is sort of a polarized view. <laughs> yeah, well. Because I I just think that it's the wrong word, like boundaries. You don't like that word to describe the thing that it is, right? I don't like this word to describe the thing that it is because I don't think it describes it well. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to redo the boundaries episode, but um, (laughs) I think closure is probably the same as boundaries in that somebody created a word 
a bunch of people latched onto it. Mm -hmm. And now it's overused in ways that don't necessarily make sense or as a crutch, you know, Yeah, which could probably be said about both boundaries and closure, like a need for boundaries, a need for closure, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I need to control this situation. Mm -hmm. So I need to put bright lines on things and tie up bows, (laughs) because I don't like living in that gray. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe we just solved it. (laughs) It's a vocabulary problem. Yes, it's a fucking semantic problem. But I do think, though, people want it to be real because they want to stop whatever pain they're in. You know, and I get that. So actually, there's a quote from an article from Psychology Today that says, wanting closure is normal. It's about wanting emotional pain, loss, and grief to end. Unfortunately, the human mind and heart don't fit neatly into boxes where we can close them, pack them away, and not feel them anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, that sums it up for me. (laughs) Goodbye, papers. She would have dropped the mic, but she dropped her papers instead. (laughs) We paid money for these mics. They're going to stay. Also, they'll be very loud for the listener. I do have one question for you. Yes. Why do you feel so strongly about it? Um... I think because I have spent so much time in the last, fuck, decade having to sit in the uncomfortable place and process things and work through shit and be okay being not okay, because it's been one fucking thing after another for so long, that I've grown a lot. I can see areas where I have come so far in terms of being able to accept, you know, the I didn't get left on red because of any particular thing, or maybe I did, but I don't have to decide that, you know, I, I, I feel like I've come a long way emotionally and psychologically with that stuff. And I think that's fucking valuable. And I want everyone to do the same. <laughs> so that is why I feel strongly about it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I want easy answers to all this shit as much as everybody else. And I think the more you learn about this stuff, the more you recognize there are none. And all of it takes fucking work. Mm-hmm. therapy is hard working on yourself mentally psychologically emotionally is fucking hard there's no quick fix and for me closure is a cop-out because it's like you you can't just say like okay well i went to the funeral no more pain after today you know it's not how it works mm-hmm. so nobody uses the word closure around michelle we can it's talk a, about it it's a trigger word no no like boundaries is a trigger word for me i'm happy to talk about it with anybody bring it on Come say closure to me. Let's chat. You seem real aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> I have my hands on my hips in a very weird way while it's sitting down. <laughs> Don't know why. Anyway, um, we've had some pretty long episodes lately. How do you feel about calling it? Keeping it a little shorter. It's getting a little loud upstairs, so I think that might be a good idea. Excellent. That means we get to go get in the hot tub. Let's do it. It's uh, currently 36 degrees outside, so it sounds like a good plan to Perfect me. hot tub weather. Great. While we do that, you all can go find us online at prosecotheory.com and on instagram at prosecotheory and tpublic where we have lots of fun merch and you can rate review subscribe all the things wherever you listen what she said that's right let's close out this episode <laughs> i'd like some closure on this episode that i can do okay cheers, cheers. my friends. Cheers.